62. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so today is the final day of the Gospel of John, and we have so much ground to cover. John chapter 17, we're picking right up where we left off and we have Christ here giving his high priestly prayer. Now, remember I said before, John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 is Jesus's last will or testament, right? This is his, uh, parting uh, instructions to his disciples, right? A farewell discourse, farewell, it's, it's a farewell uh, tour. And, um, <clears throat> Here, though, we get to eavesdrop, hear this, on a conversation between the father and the son. Boy, would I have loved to have been uh, here in this moment. And we can see the movement of the narrative and Jesus praying for himself before he goes to the cross. First five verses. And then in this section, we also uh, we, we have Christ acknowledging, right? He has completed his divine mission. He has come as the son of God to give eternal life to the world, right? He, he, he implicitly gets at the special and divine glorious relationship, right? He speaks of having the glory uh, that he had with the father before the foundation of the world. Then he goes and prays for the disciples, right? And he prays for their protection. And one of the things I think that's interesting is that we misunderstand what protection means in scripture right because it doesn't necessarily mean the absence of harm right history tells us this the bible tells us this implicitly and explicitly right but it means that we will be kept right eternally right regardless of the harm we may face in the here and now and uh and, and, and it's interesting that even in the midst of the hard things jesus said would come he tells that being, he tells, he, he, he says here that uh, being united to him will be the cause of their joy. It will be the cause of their joy. And finally, he prays for those that will believe through the disciples, i.e. us, right? And the very fact that Christ does uh, and can pray this prayer is an implicit acknowledgement that God is going to multiply the disciples uh, through the 12, right, that are already present. And I think it's crazy because he also prays for unity at the end, right? And one of the things that um, if you if you've lived in America <laughs> in the past uh, few years, you you can see that the church is anything but unified on that front. And you see the heart of Christ here, right? Like the, God's heart for his people is that they will be unified in such a way that they testify to the unity of the Godhead. And I think that one of the things that we can do uh, in light of the disunity, the dysfunction we see in our churches and among God's people is pray on our knees uh, uh, as as fervently as Jesus did and care as much about the unity of the body uh, as Christ did and the apostles did as well. John chapter 18, Christ gets betrayed by Judas, arrested, also betrayed by Peter. <clears throat> the irony is that Judas betrays him fully and Peter does temporarily. Annas is asking my mans about his disciples and his teaching and Christ uh, in his uh, trial essentially says, I haven't been ducking nobody, right? He says, I've been in the synagogues. I'm representing the good news of the kingdom. I've been doing my thing. What's good, right? And then the text says this. It says, then they let Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Now, notice what goes on here. So you have these Jews leading Jesus to the Romans. And this interesting detail in verse 28 shows us the irony of the whole event, right? 
Now, they lead him to Pilate to be tried and crucified, but at the same time, didn't want to enter the governor's headquarters because they didn't want to be defiled in a Gentile home, right? So in other words, while committing the most defiling, unclean, disgusting, terrible crime in the history of the universe, they are worried about purity laws, right? And and you see just the 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 confusion right in the in the 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 how deceived they are and we see also in the trial right that he has uh, before Pilate, right and 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 he has this discussion with Pilate, uh and, and this this discussion that jesus has with Pilate is the longest discussion he has uh with Pilate in all of the gospels and it leads up to this specific discourse at the end that i want to highlight he says um verse 36 my kingdom is not of this world said jesus if my kingdom were of this world, my servants will fight so that I so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked him. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Said Pilate. Listen, Jesus is a king sent for the world, but with a kingdom not of the world right he, he is sent for the world but his kingdom is not of the world the kingdom of this world the kings of this world crucify the kings <laughs> the king that is not of the world his kingdom in other words what jesus is trying to say here to Pilate is listen fam i'm not gonna fight you back you don't even want the problems for real. <laughs> you know what i'm saying he's like no, no no my kingdom doesn't come by force it doesn't come by coercion it doesn't come by this physical overthrow of uh the roman government but through a redefinition of power a subversion of the very earthly powers of this world through a self-sacrificial life-giving power and christ could have easily demolished Pilate. But instead, he chose to lay down his life uh, for the sake of the coming of the kingdom and for the sake of those that are going to be in it. And I think that he teaches us, right, that uh, we conquer in this life, not by, uh, again, force and coercion, but by self-sacrifice and, and uh, service uh, for the good um, of our neighbor and for the glory of God. Last few chapters, John chapter 19, we get a ton of details that distinguish uh, John's crucifixion account uh, from the others. And the first thing that we see is that uh, one of the things that we that I, that I think we see throughout the whole chapter is that Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures, right? Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures, right? He's crucified at this place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, literally the skull. Gugaloth in Hebrew is skull. Um, in Genesis 3.15, God promises a savior, right, uh, uh, in the Proto-Evangelion in the Christian tradition, saying that he would crush the head of the serpent. So here, Christ dies at the place of the skull, showing that this is the means by which he would crush the skull of Satan, right? He he conquers Satan at the cross. He defeats Satan at the cross. His victory is won there. He gets crucified between two criminals. Why? Because Isaiah 53 says that he was numbered among the transgressors, right? We, we, we see that so much the dividing of the tunic by the Romans here, right, shows that even the enemies of God <laughs> can't help but further redemptive history, as this was prophesied in Psalm 22 i love it because at the beginning of the book uh john 129 says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world right john the baptist says that about jesus and here you know what happens it testifies that that actually was a true statement right so what happened jesus goes to the cross they don't break his legs on the cross why because to them he's already dead now this actually fulfills the scriptures so amazing Right. So amazing. This decision that they don't choose to make actually fulfills the scriptures that God had planned beforehand. 
And in Psalm 34, right, it says that the Messiah's, not one of the Messiah's bones will be broken, fam. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So, so, so fulfillment of prophecy there. But then Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember in the Passover, the Passover lamb, go to Exodus chapter 12, right? You see that the Passover lamb was supposed to be eaten in commemoration of the uh, um, liberation from Egypt. And guess what? They were not to break the bones <laughs> of the lamb, right? And so you see Jesus is the true Passover lamb who doesn't have his bro bones broken uh, to provide, not just, not a, not to look back to the old Exodus, to provide a new one uh, to liberate his people from sin. Zechariah 12, right? It talks about uh, the, the, how they would look at the one whom they pierce, Right. And you just see Christ fulfilling all of these scriptures. Right. And, and, and all of the promises of God. This is not a random act in history. Jesus is not just a good guy who stands up for his people. He is not just a martyr, but he is the savior. And he uh, in his own person and work shows the faithfulness of God. Right. The faithfulness of God in his trustworthiness, in, 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 in God's trustworthiness in History. We even see uh, Christ from the from the cross keeping the law. G. Right. He's honoring his mother at the cross. Right. He goes to the grave for three days, sleeps on the Sabbath, whole nine yards. Right. And, and, and Christ fulfills all these things to a T. There. Listen. There's no one else. And I think I think the thing I want to say about that is that there is no one else who is going to fulfill all of the deepest hopes and desires and dreams that you have about what this world should be like and about what you want to see done in it, but Him. Right. He is the one. Right. He is the one who is supposed to usher in a messianic uh, age of blessing and peace and favor. And guess what? He comes. That king comes and he's crucified. Right. He comes and he's crucified. Right. And the irony is, is that even in his rejection, there is still an accomplishment of his mission. Right. John chapter 20. He rises from the grave. Mary Magdalene is the first to go to the tomb and encounter the resurrected Christ. He comes back. Everybody's turned up by the fact that Christ has resurrected just as he said he would. Then he commissions them just as he does in the other gospels. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are re." Here we have a pre-Pentecost, right? right? Remember at Pentecost, the spirit comes down on the Jews and the disciples and they go and spread the gospel. Um, but here we have a pre-Pentecost that marks out the disciples specifically, initially as a group that have been renewed, equipped and tasked with the taking of the gospel to the known world. Right. And you see the movement, right? It's the father sends the son. Uh, um, and, and, and now the son is going to send them. Right. It, it's this movement. That goes on. And in, in John chapter 21, after his third appearance to the disciples, right, we see uh, the disciples by the sea, right, catching a ton of fish to eat, having breakfast, turning up with the Lord Jesus. And this is how Christ is going to reveal himself to them. And by the end of the chapter, we have this threefold restoration of Peter. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then here he restores him with three uh, 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 subtle words. And uh, you see that there's this uh, kind of parallel, actually, where uh, there's this rejection uh, by Peter, but also a restoration of Peter. And there's a, a rejection of the Messiah. And now there's a restoration or a resurrection or reward for that same Messiah as well. Christ comes not just to judge the world and people, but to renew and restore the world as well. Right. The, 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 the goal of redemption is restoration. Right. Like Christ is coming to remake the entire world and the beauty of that is is that before he does that he renews and remakes 
us, right? He renews and remakes us, right? And that should be enough to compel us today to be agents of change and renewal and redemption and restoration every single place we go today. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would make us agents of restoration in this present age, God, and that we would be uh, beacons of light and hope that testifies to the age to come. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.